Welcome and thanks for joining us for this week's encouraging and faith-building message from C3 Topol. For more information about C3 Topol, visit our website c3churchtopol.org.nz. Now for this week's message. So, uh, so good to be in the December month, right? Like the month we wait all year for and then it's like, my gosh, it's slipping through my fingers already. Um, we play Christmas carols way earlier in our house. We probably peaked a bit too early this year, but hey, that's all right. We'll, we'll just play through the pain now, and uh, Oliver's all about it, so uh, Sarah hates it, but no, she gets on board. But um, isn't it just the best time of year? And uh, we're, we're all about Christmas, but like Jesus Christmas here at church, we're about gifts and we're about having a holiday and eating and drinking and have a wonderful time, like you should have a good break this Christmas, you probably all need one, but we will never lose sight of why Christmas exists, that Christmas exists because it was the time when the greatest gift uh, was ever given to humanity in the form of a baby born of a virgin into a manger And he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. He will be the Christ, the Redeemer. And Christmas belongs to the church. Christmas belongs to the Christian and to the believer, to those who have found their faith in Jesus Christ, for those who are clinging to the hope of glory that is Christ himself, to those who have their eyes fixed not on the temporal world but on the eternal world that is God's kingdom. And uh, we are so um, dedicated to preaching the, uh, the genuine, authentic Christmas message. Um, which is more spectacular than any worldly message could ever masquerade or present to be. It is far better than the message of Santa Claus and his 12 dwarves. I know that was Snow White, Santa and his elves, elves, you know, and his sleigh. And and, uh, we don't have a Santa Claus in this church, and that's an intentional decision. My children know there's no Santa Claus. I'm not going to, oh, Florence doesn't. But listen, you, like, you run your house as you see fit. But I'll just, I've got a little bit of time. I get it. I'm not going to give all my hard work and all my gift buying credit to some figment of someone's imagination. Like those children know your father supplies your needs, not Santa Claus, not some guy who doesn't exist that they, no, no, your mother and your father, they work hard, they save their money, they're disciplined and they buy you gifts because they love you and they want to bless you because you're their children. It's not some made up random chap who doesn't exist that magically gives you all this nice stuff while your parents don't. No, no, no. Your kids need to know that you love them and you bless them and you look after them and care for them. Get on the Santa Claus bars, enjoy it. But like, think about it. Who's the credit going to for your hard work? And, and you, yeah, anyway, let's go to... Uh, So we don't have a center in our church. We have Jesus. He's far better. He gives way better gifts. He says, I have blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You don't even have to wait for them. He has already done it. He says, I have given you everything you need to live a wonderfully victorious life. But anyway, so I want to uh, preach out of Matthew and Isaiah this morning. Because Jesus, Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is the Emmanuel because he was born of the Virgin and because he was born into the Major, but not only because he was born of the Virgin and born into the major Manger at Christmas time. Jesus is the Savior because 
of the process that he went through to become the Savior, to become the Savior of humanity. And in the beginning of Matthew, kind of from 1 to 4, I'm not going to read it all, but it, it gives us Christ's entry. And in a snapshot, it gives us as his entry into the earth through Mary. And then the first 30 years of his life are really in chapters 1 to 4 of the book of Matthew. He's born. His parents lose him because they leave him at the temple. He turns some water into wine. It was his first miracle. And then he, he finds John the Baptist in the wilderness. And he gets baptized by John. And he said to John, he said, you need to baptize me. And John said to Jesus, no, Jesus, this is back to front. You need to baptize me. And Jesus said to John, no, John, you need to baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. That there was a process that Jesus was, come, was going through that was creating, that was authenticating the person that was the Messiah, that was the Emmanuel, God with us. Just to simply be born and grow up and be like, I'm the Messiah, here I am, is not sufficient. The fulfillment of years and years and years of prophetic words that are brought all through the Old Testament are essential to the authentication of the person of the Messiah. So as we see this journey, even through the very early stages before his public ministry even began, there's a process, a private process that is taking place in Jesus Christ's life so that when the public Messiah comes to the front, there, it has been authenticated and approved before that point. That no one other than Jesus Christ himself could be the Messiah. No one other can be the Messiah. Don't believe other people saying the second Messiah has come or looking on YouTube, I'm the new Messiah. Or You know, that it is only Christ and only Christ alone who can fulfill all the prophecy of the Old Testament in detail. So as we see this, Jesus, he gets baptized and the power of God falls on him in the form of a dove. An audible voice from heaven speaks, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And from that moment, Jesus is taken, into, led by the Spirit into the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's an understatement. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, the devil took him to the holy city, had him sat on the highest point of the temple. He said, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All this I'll give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and his angel, angels came and attended him. So Jesus has gone through this process of being born, being raised by Mary and Joseph, spending time in the temple, being baptized, 
receiving the, the seal from his father, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, God speaking to him from heaven and validating him as his son, not just the son of Mary and Joseph, but now a public and audible declaration from heaven itself that this is my son, the son, the only son of God with whom I am well pleased. And then the process continues for Jesus Christ to be led by the Spirit, not by the devil, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The devil didn't lead him into the wilderness. The Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tested, to be put through a process of authentication before Jesus' public ministry began. Before, Because until then, he had not preached. But he went through this. It says that when Jesus, after that, he heard that John had been put in prison and he withdrew to Galilee. And it, this was to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the shadow, in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's so important for us to realize and observe the process and the pressure that Christ went through to become the Messiah that we call on to become the Savior that we can call upon. And we're going to jump back to Isaiah 9, which is the fullness of the Scripture of Jesus going to Galilee and the Gentiles. And it starts off like this. It says 9 verse 1, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Jump to 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation. You have increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice as they share plunder. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and on the government, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. I want to go back and look at this nevertheless word. Eight chapters precede chapter nine. And eight chapters that are filled and underscore the nation's position towards God. And the position they're in toward God as a people and as a nation is one of distance, it's one of darkness, and it's one of separation. It's one of rebellion, and it's one of unwillingness to follow the plan that God has for their life. And all up until chapter 9 begins in, this, in the book of Isaiah, God is showing the people and talking about the distance and the darkness and the separation. And he sees it all and the prophet is laying it all clear in the book of Isaiah for the people to read, underscoring the distance and the separation between people and God. And then the very worst, the very first, not the worst, the very first word of chapter 9 lights a flame in the human soul. 
It changes the tack of conversation. It changes the position between God and His people that despite the distance, despite the mess, despite the darkness, it says that nevertheless, despite all that is going on in humanity, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. For a child is coming into the earth. A son has been given into the earth. Christmas time is coming. Nevertheless, what 2018 had, what 2019 may hold, nevertheless, to us, a child is being born. It is the great turning point from a world kept caught in darkness that is about to be released into the light that is Jesus Christ. It is the very eve of the Christmas story recorded hundreds and hundreds of years ago by the prophet Isaiah foreseeing it, living with the hope of what was to come that is now our current reality. That this is not something we are waiting for. This is what we are living in right now. God and His love is turning from the plight of His people to the perfectness of His Son, Jesus Christ. No longer would God's focus be on the plight and the darkness and the depravity of His people. His focus would be on the perfectness of His Son, Jesus Christ. That when He sees us, He sees His Son, Jesus Christ. That nevertheless, what we've gone through, He has redeemed us with the atoning blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. He has washed us clean with the blood of Jesus Christ. His Son, Jesus Christ, purchased for us something that we could not purchase for ourselves, which is our redemption through His perfect sacrifice and His perfect life, which started in Matthew chapter 1. That despite what has happened, despite what is currently happening, there is a nevertheless in your life. That the Jesus Christ of Isaiah 9 is not a good idea. He is a person. He is the God incarnate. He is the Word manifest. He is God with us, Emmanuel. And it is so important that this scripture, this prophetic declaration out of Isaiah 9 was tested through Matthew 4. Because it was only someone who had fully borne the weight of our humanity and not been crushed that could free us from the crushing weight of our humanity. It was only He who could bear our sin without it being crushed that we may not be crushed under our own sin. It is only Jesus Christ who endured everything that was thrown at Him and absorbed it in Himself. Absorbing our darkness, absorbing our separation, absorbing our sinfulness. This is the greatest Christmas message that could ever be heard, that Christ took from us what we could not give away from ourselves. He purchased from us our brokenness and replaced it with His wholeness. You see, if a storm should sweep through a forest and we went out into the forests around Topol after a great storm, And as we walked through that forest, we would see, I've been there, I used to work there every day. Well, Sam still does. He knows all about it. You'll walk, there's many broken trees. 
those that have broken under the onslaught of the storm. The, The wind blew, the snow fell on them, and the weight of the atmosphere broke them. And we could ask the question, if we observe the trees and all the trees that are around us, which ones do we know bore the full brunt of that storm? And the answer is that it is only the trees still standing that know the full intensity of what has just passed over them. The trees that broke under the onslaught of the storm from that point on did not experience any further intensity from the storm. But it's the ones that stood in the storm from its beginning till its break that know the full intensity of what had just passed over them. Another way to illustrate it is suppose you or I were to get in the boxing ring with Joseph Parker, New Zealand's greatest heavyweight boxer right now. We would not last long, particularly me. One or two blows, I would be counting the lights in the ceiling. And you could ask me, what's it like? Does he pack a punch? And I would be, yes, he does. He, he can punch. But the only way to truly know if Joseph Parker can punch is to go 12 rounds and you yourself walk out of the ring. Having taken everything the boxer has to offer, every punch, every jab, every uppercut, every combination he has in his arsenal and to still be standing after it, you would then know whether or not he could pack a punch. To be taken out by a one-hit wonder is just a lucky shot. But to absorb 12 rounds is to truly know if, or to absorb the intensity of what the opponent has to offer. This is exactly what Christ has done for us. He absorbed the fullness of the storm. He absorbed the fullness of the fight. He absorbed the fullness of the battle. He absorbed the fullness of the darkness. He absorbed everything dark and undesirable in himself, and he, and he stood nonetheless. What was going to crush us, he swallowed. What was going to destroy us, he destroyed. The death that came for us, he killed. That is why it is written, death, where is your sting? For death has been swallowed up in victory. That Jesus Christ, this Isaiah 9 is authenticated and powerful for our lives because Jesus Christ has endured what it takes to be this person. He endured the fullness of the cross. He endured the fullness of hell. He endured the fullness of death and rose victorious on the third day from the grave. And because he was obedient unto death, he was elevated to the right hand of his Father, the highest, most authoritative position in all of creation. Jesus alone knows the full weight of temptation. That is why the writer of Hebrews can say, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize in our weakness. This is why it was proper for Jesus to go through the process he went through. He did it for you and I, that he would understand our humanity. He didn't get to skip the steps. He didn't get to skip kindergarten and go straight straight to, you know, Bible college. 
We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. He is the perfect Messiah. He is the perfect Emmanuel. The temptation of Christ and his victory over it authenticates his person for our faith. There's no other person, no other deity, no other God that is worthy of your faith. For no other God has been through the process that Jesus Christ has been through and has conquered it. No other God has absorbed the full the fullness of the brokenness of a world, being killed and risen from the grave victorious. No other God has had victory over the devil like Jesus Christ, and that authenticates him for the only anchor for the human spirit and soul. The only place our faith should be focused and fixed is on the authentic person who is Jesus Christ. And this Christmas, if you're not a Christian and not a believer in Jesus Christ, my encouragement to you is to put your faith and hope in Christ Jesus. Don't anchor it to new age ideas. Don't anchor it to Buddha or Muhammad or New Age philosophies. Anchor it to Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that He is the anchor for the human soul, that we have this anchor firm and secure that goes, the anchor goes beyond the veil and is anchored into the very presence of God, that we can always find our way back to where God is. The anchor will always lead you to the boat and the boat will always lead you to the anchor. It assures our freedom in relation to the tempter. He was tested in every way, and yet he was found without sin. We are tempted in every way and not necessarily found without sin, but we are found with a Savior and a Redeemer who does a continual work inside of us. And the authentication of Jesus Christ assures our freedom in the relationship to the devil. You are not at the devil's beck and command. You are not subject to his principalities and his power and his demonic forces. He is subject to the believer. He is subject to you. He, Jesus said, I give you all authority. Go out, heal people of sickness, cast out demons in my name. He said, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but spirit, you know, spiritual powers that are at work. But Christ says, I've given you authority over these things. The process that the Messiah went through, not just being born into the manger, but the process of temptation, the process of, go, of being in that, that climate of pressure and intensity, yet overcoming it assures our freedom in relationship to the same tempter that it assures our we are free to not observe those things. We are free not to give way to demonic pressure. We're free not to give way to dark spiritual forces, but we rise above it. You overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and the power of your testimony. You tell him, you're a, you, tell him you got saved and you tell him how you got saved. You tell, that's what you tell him, I'm a Christian and this is how I became a Christian. He has to leave you alone. I became a Christian on this day and this is how this the blood of the lamb and the power of your testimony the authentic person of Jesus Christ assures our freedom in relationship to the devil 
absolute surety and of our freedom from the pries and the tongs and the hooks that he tries to get in to the human heart. And try he does. And sometimes he succeeds. But with Christ in us, the hope of glory, we have an actual remedy to remove them. And it affirms God's acceptance of his atoning work. That Christ did not die on the cross for his own sin. He died on the cross for our sin. He did not die for his sinfulness. He died for our sinfulness. He didn't die for his sickness. He died for our sickness. He did not die for his healing. He died for our healing. And the authentic nature of Jesus Christ It affirms God's acceptance of his atoning work that God approved. If listen, if um if if Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ in that moment of death was found with sin, he would not have been elevated to the right hand of his father. That was the trying moment. Was the Messiah with or without sin? Did he just live a good life and, you know, like a Pharisee, keep the outside good, but the inside, you know, not so good? Did did the Messiah, was he truly with or without sin? And the testing moment that was when he died with ours, he did not die with his. That when he died on the cross, he died a sinless man for the sinfulness of man. That he died as he died in wholeness for our brokenness. And the work of Jesus Christ affirms God's acceptance of our atoning work, that God raised him from the dead and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. God's looking over to him and saying, Good job, son. Good shot, good job, son. Good job. And he's approving and he's accepting Christ's atoning work on our behalf. And even though, even though God, before Isaiah 9, saw so much darkness, so much depravity, he said, Nevertheless, one is coming. Nevertheless, my son is coming. And even though I can see all this, I choose to see my son. Even though I can see your shame and your brokenness and your sinfulness and everything you've done wrong, I can sit. I choose to see my son. He's saying, nevertheless, all that you've done, all that you've been through, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. For my son is coming to the earth. My son shall be born and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He died for our sins that we may have our own personal nevertheless moment. That we can even look back on our own lives and sometimes kick ourselves for things we may or may not have done. But I choose to live with a nevertheless. God is for me. Nevertheless, Christ died with me. That despite our sins, our shortfalls, our rises and our falls, despite all that stands against us and desires to separate us from God's love, there is one greater who stands alongside us. And he is the manifestation of Isaiah 9. He is Emmanuel, God is with us. He is no longer a vision that people waited for. He has come to pass. He has lived, he has died, and he has risen again from the grave. And he is seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven. The full work of Isaiah 9 
is in full effect on the earth, but also on your life. And there in this room today is a nevertheless moment for you, a great turning point that will extract you from the clutches of darkness and set you free to live in the glorious light of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Have a blessed week.